and let the drama begin. You know, we started this show at the beginning of last week. And it was like, okay, by by next Tuesday, we will have exhausted everything. We will have run out of things to say without having a real game start. And here we are on the eve of Toronto and Montreal starting Wednesday. And the script writes itself. <laughs> Drama at Leafland. Here's, here's a good news, bad news scenario. And I'm Nick Kiprios. We got Derek on tech. We got semi-producing. And, of course, Justin Bourne. Here's good news, bad news scenario, guys. Okay, here's the good news. Mitch Marner was trending, and it wasn't because of Nick Suzuki's new contract. <laughs> okay? It could be both. That's the good news. <laughs> Here's the bad news for, for Leaf fans. Uh, he was tripped by Wayne Simmons and left practice early, went down hard, and now needs to be reevaluated tomorrow morning. So uh, where do you want – JB, get me your thoughts. And then, Sammy, I want to hear the full panic in your voice when you learn Mitch Marner left practice. Well, have you ever heard anyone in, in practice, Kipper, a teammate by mistake? It's awful. They said Wayne Simmons uh, apologized over and over. Have you ever done it? I are you kidding me? I'm like constantly, constantly. <laughs> if it wasn't yeah. apologizing to a goalie for shooting high around his head, it was. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean that. Yeah, no, it's it's like a very real thing. You know, coaches are constantly preaching that energy and competitiveness, and it's the only way we're going to get better, and it, it just happens. So. You know, yeah, I saw some people upset at Wayne Simmons for being rough and old Mitchie, but that's that's hockey practice. So it sounds I'm sure Mitch Martin will be fine. Keith said he was uh you know, taken off for precautionary reasons. So I, I don't think there's any reason to feel like Sam McKee has in our pre show meetings. So you gonna be okay there, Sammy? Well, I don't know about you guys <laughs> fellas, but I I'm looking at this lineup and you know, it's already a little thin. For my liking, like on opening night, is this is this what I envisioned the Toronto Maple Leafs lineup looking like on opening night? I'd be on opening night. I'd be lying if I said it's what I envisioned. And then you have the best player who's left, other than Austin Matthews, clearly who's going to be out until next week at least, going down at practice. You know, with Simmons chipping him, and then Borny said, "Get Nylander in bubble wrap." It just feels that. They are so, you know, dependent on these top four guys. And if one of them, and God forbid, two of them gets hurt, you know, they got really not a whole lot at the bottom well, half of the lineup to really kind of fill in that production. I know that's... if you take away the team's top winger or team top center, don't get me wrong, I understand every team's going to have issues, but it really seems more pronounced with the Leafs here, fellas. And that's where the full panic comes in, is if what happens if Mitch is hurt long-term or... Uh, what's life like if, you know, God forbid for Leaf fans that uh, Matthews and, and Marner are out at the same time? And oh, do we need goodness. to ask Pittsburgh Penguin fans what they feel without no Sid Crosby and, and Gino right now? Their two-star players will not start uh, this season, uh, both out of the lineup as early as uh, tonight versus Tampa Bay. But that's when you start envisioning what, the lineup could look like and 
Right now, uh, JB, it, it looks like it's it's Richie, Tavares, and Marner for tomorrow night, albeit that he, he comes back and he feels great after 24 hours. Mm. But if it's not Marner, then what happens? <laughs> I don't know. Can we get Brooks back? It, uh, it's, you know, I, the one thing that I would put up with from people discussing the Leafs' failures last uh, postseason you know, I, I made, would make the case. I'd be like, yeah, but Tavares got hurt. And and the case I heard was just, if one guy going down hurts your team that much, you, you're kind of a poorly constructed team. And I will hear that case about the way this team is constructed. I think they can win with the way this team is constructive. I think they can construct it. I think they can win playoff rounds. But the second one of those four guys goes down, all of a sudden you go, huh? How many Simmons going to get us this year? He's going to be playing 12 minutes now. You know, what's Amadio got? We've got Sheldon Keefe, head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs, coming up at the top of the hour. So we'll certainly try to get a little bit more detail on the Marner update or, or the situation. We're going to get into training camp. We're going to get into power play, the bumper, uh, and how that overall is working out. And, and of course... Uh, we're going to get him to critique his performance in all or nothing. Of course, we spent a good portion <laughs> of it uh, earlier last week uh, dissecting it. We'll, we'll get his thoughts as well. Uh, also included in, in today's show, Mike Kelly, hockey analyst specializing in analytics with the NHL Network and Sports Logic. Hey, JB, are, are you and him going to gang up on me? Is, is that what's going <laughs> to happen here? Am I going to get am I going to get dadded to death? Yeah, listen, this is just pre this is like a preliminary strike for when Doug McLean's back on the show and I'm the odd man out. I got to I got to get land a couple of jabs before I get hit with haymakers later in the fight. Get him in early, man. <laughs> Max coming back on this show at some point, man. Get him in early. So I know good it. on you. That's a, that's a good strategy on your part. So, uh John Forslund also play-by-play of the Seattle Kraken. Of course, they kick off things tonight as well in Vegas. And uh, we're going to get into that with him later on in the show. But spinning back here, and and, and I'll, I'll throw this to both you and, and Sammy here, uh, JB. But overall, if you take a look at the Leafs and their ability to stay healthy overall the last few years, it's kind of been there. Um, Morgan Riley's had a good run of 70 and 80 Mm-hmm. Plus game seasons, uh, Marner first three years very durable. Even Hyman, um, but I think what you kind of were worrying about at the, at the top of the show is is it's never. And Matthews has had his ha- has had his uh, you know issues uh, being out of the lineup. But but as far as losing two at the same time of their grade A talented players, right. just really hasn't happened. And I think that's. That's what you're always nervous about um, mm-hmm. going in I, in any season is can we can we stay healthy here? And, and here's the other thing, too, that I think isn't coincidental. And, and I don't know what analytics can do to back me up here, but style of play for the Toronto Maple Leafs has always been conducive to not necessarily putting yourself in, in tough positions. And it was... It was a team built on skill and puck possession and uh, not giving up the puck. Maybe that had something to do with long stretches where they were able to stay healthy. And and has style of play changed this year with some personnel? Could they be 
in a position where they're more, you know, vulnerable in, in certain areas of the ice to get hurt? Do you buy into any of that? Well, it would be interesting to actually, maybe that's something we can throw at Mike. Uh, if there is a correlation between teams who have the puck a lot and, and injuries at all, you know, there is, um, you know, teams who have the puck a lot tend to not throw a lot of body checks, right? Which makes a lot of sense. Uh, but they probably do take a lot more contact. I don't know if that could be related to, to some injury stuff at all. But no, you're right. It's It's been a team that has by and large stayed healthy, but it just, you know, feels precarious if they don't. The one thing I will say is this team still feels good enough to make the playoffs, even if they're without one guy for a while. And at that point, you hope you use the time without those guys to see what other people can do. Like, that's the test run for Matt Amadio. Or, sorry, Michael Amadio. I got it today. You know, that's the test run for Pierre Engvall playing on the third line. Like, we'll see what these guys can do when they're playing above where you'd ideally like to have them and have a better idea what their capabilities are. So how many lines has Bunting been on since the beginning of training <laughs> camp? That's what I want to know because it, it really kind of shapes up now. We think, guys, that it's Bunting, Kerfoot, Nylander, which is a, a step above the bottom six, clearly. Yeah, so he's been on all of them, like literally all of them, I think, at this point. So uh, that's impressive on his part. But, you know, it is kind of Zach Hyman-esque. He's a Band-Aid player. That's my biggest compliment I can give a guy is, you know, can you put him on a line and make a line better? Every group you put him with, you're like, okay, I feel good about that. You know, are we overselling what Bunting can do for this team? The guy's played 21 games in the NHL, 26, something like that. I mean, he's getting a lot of opportunity this year, and expectations are high. Sammy, you got anything on uh, Bunting? Are you well, okay? Because I, 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 I we know, we know he is. He's got that versatility where he can go up and down the lineup, and that's that's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, but the, here's the thing: I feel like there's been a lot of expectations about you know replacing Zach Hyman and being the next Zach Hyman and being the next Band Aid player. And like, don't get me wrong. I've loved what I've seen from him in the reg- in the preseason heading into the regular season. The, the the regular season in Toronto is a lot different than the preseason in Toronto here. Like, it's the bright lights come on, and, you know, you always talked about it, Kipper, with the lanes that Hyman opened up and the way that he went into the end boards and the way that he dug pucks out. Like, I'm not sure. Zach Hyman's making over five sheets for a reason. What they bring Bunting in here for, 900K a year? Like, it's not like he's the same guy, and I feel I like a see- lot of people are expecting that. I uh, know, and, and I, I think that's wrong. Absolutely wrong. It's not Bunting that's going to replace Hyman. That has to be Richie. Richie mm-hmm. is the guy that is supposed to create what Hyman. I, I look at uh, Bunting, and I don't think he's heavy enough to continually drive those lanes open. He might piss a few people off, and they may start mm-hmm. chasing him, and that may open up lanes in itself. But as far as the, the leaning on the defensive side, or at least in, in the offensive zone on the defense, that's not bunting. That's Nick Ritchie. Yeah, and then that's there's going to be pressure on him too. It's nice that he got off to a good start in preseason, but you know, it's just it does immediately with with Matthews out put them in a position where you're like, God, they need those guys so much. Uh, you know, Kerfoot playing second line center for this team. You know, if that's that's a big ask for him right out of the gates. Um, you know, not exactly uh, the guy you'd want to see in your top six. Not a Nick Suzuki, if uh, if we should make quick mention here of a guy who just got paid a lot of money. Um, the Suzuki deal with Montreal was for eight years, 7.875 per. 
did, did you have any quick thoughts on that? I know you want to get into it more later, but quick thoughts before we get to our first guest. Yeah, my first thought is there's a lot of negativity around the Montreal Canadiens, and this is a this is a, a, a quick way to make Montreal fans feel a little better. And I think he's he's benefiting from that. And I don't I'm not here to suggest that uh, it's still not a good contract, but this is this is life for these kids right now. What is what's his career games at? Is it is he played 120, 125? It's a great question. Is he uh, 130 games tops? And Nick Suzuki wow. has played 127 career games, boys. Thank uh, 28 you. career goals, 54 Thank career assists. I know we've, we're dealing with shortened seasons here, but is he? What is he? Is he a 25 goal scorer? Is he a point a game kind of guy? This is all about projecting that this guy will be your guy and he very well may be that number one guy for the next eight years but wow has the pendulum ever swung for these young kids to get it before they've really truly proven who they really are and yes it's trending in the right direction no question about it and let's bring in mike kelly now hockey analyst uh uh, with the NHL Network and Sports Logic, uh, Mike. Thanks for doing this, and and God, I wish the data was there to project my numbers before I went to Hartford and almost <laughs> scored twenty goals and three hundred penalty minutes. Because that today is now worth about four million bucks a year. Kipper, I would have been all over that for you as, as a, your agent or a consultant to your agent. We would have had that one down and, and made sure you got paid ahead of time. Thanks, Mike. But. Too little, too late, man. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, did you like the Suzuki deal? Yeah, I like it. Um, look, I, I if if they think that he's going to be their, I mean, he's going to be their number one center right now, but certainly their number one center of the future. And you know, a guy who can who can put up numbers offensively. We know how good he is away from the puck. We've heard the kind of Bergeron light comparisons in terms of how he plays. Um, lock him up. The cap's only going to go up uh, as you look out eight years into the future. And uh, I love I love it when teams say, you know what, we're confident in what we think this guy's going to be, and so we're going to pay him now, and we expect to get value out of this contract. Whether they do or don't, obviously only time will tell. I love the fact that they are betting on being right in this situation, and I think they got a good chance of being right. So when we talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs and, and what your analytics says and, and, and whether or not uh, it, it matches and – you know, last last week we did a useful or useless when when Justin gave me a few uh, numbers and expectations, and I was kind of all over him about expectations. But you guys love that, right? It's it, it's cons- is it consistent enough for you? Where a guy like me, when he makes fun of it, uh, no problem at all. The data still backs it up because w- what is the expectations of the Toronto Maple Leafs in- according to your numbers? Well, look, they're they're a really good team. And uh, I think that you look at the last couple of years, they should have won playoff rounds, and they didn't. They're certainly good enough. Um, You guys know this. Anytime you talk about the Maple Leafs on social media, for sure, you're going to get people in your mentions, for better or worse. Um, They're a team that's got a lot of eyeballs. I've picked them to lose in the playoffs 
for five straight years in the first round. Ooh. And they've done exactly that. And I picked them to lose to Montreal. I picked them to lose to Columbus. Uh, when I don't think a lot of people did. And I have a reason for that. It's not that they're not good enough. You look at, you talk about expected, Kipper, um, things that we value in, in analytics in, in terms of data analysis, expected goals for and against. It's just looking at the process to determine if the process is matching the results. And when you look at those things, oftentimes the results are very good for Toronto. Oftentimes the process is very good for Toronto. Why they come up short to me um, and Kipper, you could absolutely speak to this as a guy who played in the best league in the world, is that in critical moments in the postseason where they've gone the distance in the first round for several years in a row and lost in that winner-take-all game, they make mistakes in critical areas at critical times, and it's puck management. That's the big issue for them. Um, the players, I, I believe, you guys have Sheldon Keefe on, you can ask him. Um, I believe Sheldon Keefe is fully aware of this and is trying to correct the the issue that they've had um but the players have made critical mistakes with the puck at key times they don't make a lot of mistakes but and we can look at the numbers on that it's just the big ones at the wrong times this is you you picked montreal based on the success that they had during the regular season when they showed uh their best defensive side of managing the puck better than probably the last five seven years like uh, how, how could you pick them to lose based on the success that they had in the North Division? I was a little nervous going into it. Believe me, Montreal lost their last five games and Toronto was on an absolute heater, right? They, they blew everyone out of the water in that division. But it's the matchup. It's, it's a team that is a counterattack team that forces turnovers and can get up the ice fast and create off the rush. Montreal is one of the best teams at doing that in the regular season. They've got Carey Price. And when he's at his best, he's a force. So... Would it have shocked me if Toronto won? Absolutely not. They're, they're a, a terrific hockey team. But I saw ways, I saw a path to success for, for Montreal. The same way that I thought Minnesota might beat Vegas. That went seven. The same way that I thought Montreal could beat Vegas. And they did. Um, again, you guys who haven't played the game at a high level certainly know this. Sometimes a one versus eight matchup or two versus seven or whatever, it's, it's not the seeding that matters. It's the matchup and the style of team play that can give a really good team trouble against a team that might not have had uh, as, as good of a record. I mean, outside of the money it costs, I mean, I love that stuff. I love, uh, you know, checking out that matchup. So good on you for seeing that. I sure didn't. Uh, one of the places that uh, you had mentioned uh, in the past where the Leafs are actually worse than, you know, you know, what was expected of them was their power play. What did you see on their power play? What do, you, do they need to overhaul things on the power play? What should we expect from them this, this regular season? I'm really interested in this one, right? Because we've got a pretty big adjustment with Marner going into that bumper spot in the middle, it looks like. Um, and I want to hear your guys' thoughts on this, too, because, again, you get into process-related numbers like expected goals, how many um, shots are they getting from key areas. You break the power play down last year in the regular season where it finished middle of the pack. It was really good for the most part. Their breakouts were good. Uh, their entries were not great, but that's fine. Once they got in the zone... They put more shots on goal from the slot than anybody. That's where three-quarters of goals are scored. They put more shots on net from the net front area than anybody. That's where half the goals in the league are scored. More screenshots against the goalie than anyone. They got rebounds. The recoveries were good. They did a lot of really good things. Um, but it really cooled down. And then in the playoffs, process, results, all of it was bad. So what do you do in a situation where you know for long stretches 
ah, we just weren't getting the results, but the process was really good. Um, that's what I'm interested to see and, and love to hear your guys' thoughts on. The only worry I have with Marner in that bumper position is will he get enough touches? Will they get the puck to right. him? And mm-hmm. is there a chance that it, he can get a little lost in the middle? And now he, uh, you're getting nothing but figure eights. And we had talk, talked about this at, at great length last week. It's it's not Kucherev on, on the side. And Kucherev is a tremendous playmaker on that power play. And yet he has the job to – he has the incredible – ability to disguise his shot like anybody and 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 pull people towards him and you know whether it's Matthews or Nylander I I don't know whether those guys truly have the ability just yet to do that I think they've got that that shot for first mentality the moment they get the puck on their stick and and for me it's it's just that's the biggest concern is how many true touches will he get and like finishing quality too is something for me. Like who who are the guys getting their shots from those dangerous areas? You know, are there guys that can sh- you know show that they can repeatedly finish at a better rate than other guys in those situations? And, and do the Leafs have them, Mike? Yeah. So starting with Kipper's point, that's exactly what I'm thinking. Is he going to touch the puck enough? Because he's the guy you want touching the puck. He's your best playmaker. Um, you could argue you want your smartest player in the bumper spot, and Marner might be that offensively. But Kucherov, I mean, he's a dual threat. He can wire the puck, and he's a great playmaker. Marner doesn't have the shot to, to kind of back it up. And when he's shooting from that outer slot area by the face-off dot and, and top of the circle, he gets a ton of shots blocked. Um, last couple of years from that area, more than he's even put on net. That's very abnormal on a power play. So if he's not that multi-dimensional threat over there, I guess it makes it easier to defend, but um, that was my worry too, Kipper, is is are they going to start working a triangle and Marner kind of gets lost in the middle? Uh, I guess we'll see. Um, You guys can track this if you want when you watch the game, but last season he touched the puck eight times every two minutes of power play time. So we'll see if that number goes up or down or what he does, but it's a nice adjustment. We'll see what happens. Um, And as far as the finishing talent, you remember John Tavares' first season in Toronto? Right? What do you have, 47 goals? Yeah, a monster year. Whew. Scored a ton playing that front on the power play. Uh, was really good in that area. Um, so maybe if he goes there, Marner goes in the middle, you got a couple guys on the flank, Matthews, Nyland, or whatever, and maybe they find a, a pretty interesting little recipe. Mike, one of the guys you predicted, actually last year you had a breakout candidate prediction. You predict, uh, predicted Carter Verhage, who absolutely broke out. I saw that this year you had Michael Bunting as your guy. What do you see <laughs> What do you see in him that makes you believe? Is it, are there numbers that pointed you in that direction, or is that eye test? Yeah, a little of both. I don't want to be one-dimensional, right? I'm trying to take it from both angles, but... Yeah, I went a little off the deep end with Verhage, and uh, I figured I'd just jump right off a cliff with Bunting and, and really try to knock one out of the park. Um, but he's got a lot of those similar elements that Verhage has, where he's really good away from the puck in terms of getting it back, winning battles, really good around the front of the net. Um, if he gets a little you know, PP2 time in a net front role, I think that's a good spot for him. I think he should be in the top six. If he is, he's going to be, when healthy, playing with Tavares Nylander or Matthews Marner. Either way, that's a great spot to be in. Um, So he's got some of those kind of puck recovery, pain-in-the-butt things that Zach Hyman had in his game. He's not as skilled as Hyman. He's not as fast as Verhage. 
He's not as offensively gifted as Verhage. So I wouldn't put him in the same category. But if he gets some power play time, he gets a top six spot. I think he's a great compliment um, to, to a couple of other real elite offensive yeah. players. And that's where I could see him breaking out. Well, this is where I see things maybe a little differently from you is that I don't see a good fit between Tavares and Bunting. I think they're going to fight over Mm. the same piece of ice. And if you talk about a a radius of six or eight feet, Tavares has always had that presence right around that area for redirects or tips. And I think when I watched uh, a couple of exhibition games where he was with Tavares, there was... uh, a lot of times where I saw bunting third man high and I don't want him third man high. I want him in front of the net causing havoc. So mm-hmm. any merit, any merit to that where, where the analytics would say, yeah, they, they like to go to the same spot. Something to watch if they play together. And, and the, that's a great point for sure. Um, you know, the, the Leafs, like a lot of teams, but the Leafs are kind of pretty fluid in the offensive zone with, with D going down the wall and forwards going high and, and all of that. So um, that's a great point, though, Kipper, and, and something really uh, to pay attention to in the beginning. But I, I don't think that Nick Ritchie is a lock to be on that first line. Like, I don't think he's, you know, that much a first-line player where you can't move him if maybe you decide, oh, maybe Bunting will work better with these guys or maybe Ritchie can slide down and... Um, maybe somebody else uh, takes a spot in the top six, but good point. Yeah, there's. Uh, it's, it is going to be interesting to watch how that plays out. I, I wanted to get to the goaltending position. Um, you know, you you had some thoughts on Campbell and Mrazek. Uh, I see some models that have them as the second best goaltending tandem in the NHL. I don't know about that. Where do you see the Leafs goaltending this year compared to the rest of the league? Yeah, I wouldn't say second. Um, that's probably putting a lot of weight into last year where Mrazek, I think he played you know, 12 games. He didn't play a lot, but he was really good. Um, and Campbell had a really good year. We know that. Um, the, when I look at Peter Mrazek the last few years, it's been up and down, up and down. Um, he, he's played really, really well. And he's been kind of below average. So if you get you know, peak Mrazek, then, then great. And it's certainly in a platoon role. I think that's a good fit. Uh, Jack Campbell... Um, obviously a good year. I, I think in the playoffs, um, his goals against was better than anyone. His save percentage was second to Veselevsky. Put up great numbers. I think he was closer to average in that series, and I think the least defense in front of him was really good. So I guess Toronto's probably hoping that one of these guys at different times is playing well, and they can roll that until it doesn't work and then roll the next guy. Uh, we certainly haven't seen enough from either one to say, yeah, they're going to take the ball and run with it and play 55-plus games. So it's a question mark. Um, both the guys have shown that they can do it for bursts, and you know we'll see. But I think one thing that's changed with Toronto in the last couple of years is their team defense is pretty good, and that used to be a weakness. So that should help. Is, is you describing Mrazek up and down a nice analytical way of saying – when he's good, he's really good, and when he's bad, he's really bad. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. His, uh, yeah, his goal saved above expected last year was good, and, and he uh, he played well. Again, real small sample, but that's kind of it for sure. And Campbell doesn't seem to be that prone to those kind of swings. So, look, you got both guys as an option. Um, 
ride the hot hand and hope that they don't both go cold at the same time. But I think okay. that team defense should help insulate them. Outside of the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs, what's the data telling you on who will win the Stanley Cup? There's not enough to go on yet because we haven't started. But uh, you look at last season, there were teams that were really strong that didn't get as far uh, for sure that I pay attention to. Uh, My pick, it was a bold prediction, but I kind of believe it too, is Florida. Um, I know they didn't get out of the first round. They played Tampa really tough. And Tampa won the Cup. We all know that. I think Florida would have steamrolled some other teams in the East that people would look at as contenders had they played them. They've got a tough road to get out of in the Atlantic Division, obviously. Um, But if they come out of it, I think they could take on just about anybody. Uh, Obviously, Colorado's in the mix, Tampa, etc. But I'm I'm Islanders. I'm keeping an eye on those Panthers, though. I like the additions they made. Mike, where are we with Florida? Because we had heard they they went analytics is... uh as late as 2014 and then Dale Talon I don't know pushed it aside and now they're they're all in again right I mean they are they are uh they are one of those teams that uh, I think correct me if I'm wrong but uh we'll we'll play the percentages on their data well look they've hired uh since Bill Zito came in they've made some hires in their analytics staff some people that have been around um, so, yeah, I, I would say they, they value it for sure. That seems obvious. I think a misconception that exists, though, is that there are quote-unquote analytics teams and then teams that aren't analytics teams, when the reality is every team in the league is working with data to some degree. Now, how much they invest in it, how um, large a percentage it, it, it plays in, in their decision-making varies from 1 to 32. Their ability to interpret data um, correctly in a way that can have a positive impact in the front office, coaching, scouting. That varies from 1 to 32. Hypothetically, the team that invests the most in analytics could do the worst job of interpreting it and, and not get great results from it. That's possible. So I don't really subscribe to, yeah, that's an analytics team, therefore X, Y, and Z, and that one isn't. Um, there's a lot of variables that go into working with data, what you're using, how well you interpret it how uh, well you can create actionable insights from it. And there's a team that's going to be the best. There's a, a team that's going to be the worst and everything in between. Um, but Florida's made some pretty savvy moves in the last, you know, uh, year and a bit. So it looks like you know, they went out and got for Hagee. That was my guy to target. My value <laughs> side. So they got to be doing something right. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, you know, looking at the Florida Panthers as a potential Stanley Cup team, if you're a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, isn't awesome because uh, uh, there's some other good teams in their division. Where where do those other teams stack up compared to the Leafs? Looking at Tampa Bay and Boston, and if you like Montreal in terms of uh, likely playoff contenders uh, in the Atlantic. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting division because, look, Toronto's still a really good team, obviously. Um, I, I think they're getting in for sure. Um, Tampa Bay, same thing. Boston, there's some question marks in Boston, but um, Swayman's looked great. Allmark struggled in the preseason, but he had a good year in Buffalo last year on a bad team. Boston's a much better team and much better defensive team, so I think the goaltending should be fine. Um, and then, yeah, Florida. I, I really like Florida, so that's, that's a pretty uh, nice-looking top four. Montreal, I think, is going to be in tough to make the playoffs, but they'll, they'll battle for a spot. Um, and then it drops off after that. So it's not going to shock me if any of those top four teams, Florida, Tampa, Boston, Toronto, 
wins a few rounds and kind of comes out of that division. They're all good enough to do it. Um, injuries will play a role, you know, how well players play, goalies, all of that. But it's that top four is pretty, uh, pretty heavy in terms of ability. Going to be interesting when we look at goalies, Mike. And, and of course, uh, that's, again, analytics, back-to-back games. Uh, how many ultimately you want. Uh, last time I checked, I think uh, there's as many as half a dozen goalies with not a ton of experience that are going to play a, a, a key role in, in, if anything, a, a, a backup situation. And you mentioned Boston and Florida. I see Swayman, not a ton of experience. Uh, your team that you just picked uh, as, as a, a team that could win the Stanley Cup, Florida, there's Spencer Knight. And, of course, Spencer made a couple of uh, playoff appearances, but four games under his belt. So what do the analytics say on, on, on starters and the number of games? There's Comrie and Winnipeg backing up Hellebuck. Mm-hmm. Come on, you're telling me go big or go home in Winnipeg with Hellebuck. You've got... How many games does Hellebuck need, and how many can Comrie <laughs> hold the fort? Right? These are, these are, uh, these are big question marks. Huge question marks. Absolutely. Um, we we don't really know with Comrie if he can hang and play twenty games, twenty five games if he has to. We know what Hellebuck can do, and they made some upgrades on the blue line, so that should help because Winnipeg was a bottom five, bottom six defensive team last year. Um, but yeah, having having a platoon option uh, is huge in the regular season. Um, the numbers will tell you that overall, a goalie on a second game on a back-to-back um, is not as good typically. But and again, I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts. Having played at a high level and played with a lot of you know good goalies, I, I tend to look at it as more on a case-by-case basis because I believe there's probably goalies. I'll use examples, and I don't know if these goalies are, are true, but just an example. Maybe Connor Hellebuck is more capable of playing two games in a row than you know, whoever, Freddie Anderson or, or, or Linus Allmark, anybody, right? I can't – this is where with analytics I'm careful because I can't – I don't like to just look at averages and say this is the way that everybody should do it. I don't think in football that every team should go for it on fourth and inches in a certain area. I think it depends on who your team is, how they're playing, who they're playing against. I know the the Chargers talked recently about building models like that, where it's not just the averages. So maybe Carey Price is great going back-to-back, and the other goalie on another team isn't. Um, I tend to kind of lean more that way. Uh, I don't know what you guys have seen from goalies you've played with, but you could probably think of some that you'd be like, yeah, this guy can roll two, three days in a row if he had to, and the other guy would be like, eh, maybe not a great idea. Tomorrow night, uh... Montreal comes in, no carry price. I, I, I look at Jake Allen, and Jake Allen found an amazing spot uh, in, in a in a 1A role, and we saw it in, in St. Louis, and we saw it in Montreal. Now, all of a sudden, uh-oh, uh-oh, I, I, I got to be the number one goalie again. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, mm-hmm. that, 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 that's, that's the – unfortunately, there's no data that can ever share why he's better off when there's somebody maybe a little better or a little hotter in front of him than when there's not that security blanket. 
Yeah, definitely a personality thing too. Like some guys, some goalies I consider hockey players. You know, they they just put on their gear and they go play a hockey game, and I think they can do it more consistently. Where some guys are often their own total subsect of the hockey team. They are goalies, true goalies, and they exist separate from the team. And those guys might need more care rather than proper hockey players. So definitely, Mike, I agree. It's a it's a case to case basis, and only teams I think have a, a best sense of what they're dealing with in their own room. Mike, final thought. Yeah, I- Final thought? Yeah. Sorry, yeah. You, you got one? Uh, I guess just to touch, yeah, sure. Just to uh, to touch on what you were talking about with the goalies. Um, Jake Allen, I, I think what you said is true, and we've seen that. Um, and he, he was better than Price in the regular season last year, but that safety blanket's not there right now, and that's a really good point. Um, I'm hoping, because I was listening to you guys before, I'm hoping, Kipper, we didn't beat you over the head with too much data here. And... Uh, <laughs> You can get you can get back to to having Doug McLean or no. any of your other great guests. <laughs> we're up we're good. With. No, I actually okay, didn't mind the conversation at all, and I can okay. uh, I can honestly say that I'm I'm not ending this conversation feeling like I want to punch you in the mouth. So, <laughs> oh, thank God. The ultimate compliment. It's it's a good thing. It's a good thing. I, I am I, I I have been enlightened. Hey, that's so, a good thing so for my good face, on you. Especially. Good on you. <laughs> yeah. Well, we we appreciate your time, Mike. Anytime, guys. I uh, love listening to the new show and keep up the good work. That's Thanks, Mike Kelly, appreciate it. hockey analyst specializing in analytics with the NHL Network and Sports Logic. See, that was okay. You guys, you guys took it easy on me. You didn't beat me up too badly with. This is the thing. You have good questions. You have good questions about this stuff, and it's it's. You know, sometimes I think analytics are poorly presented to people because, uh, you know, they people use things like, you know, all, math symbols and decimal points. And Mike is really good at talking about it in, in uh, understandable hockey terms. So I appreciate him. All right. We're going to take a break here. When we come back, we're going to get in a little lead wide predictions uh, on eve of the season starting tonight. Tampa Bay and Pittsburgh followed up by Seattle Kraken versus Vegas and we'll talk about Ovi uh, over under on 30 goals 30.5 to be exact like mm-hmm. that's Sammy Sammy has to throw in the point five, but we'll get into that and so much more and then the top of the hour Sheldon Keefe we'll get into Mitch Marner power play and we want him to critique his performance in all or nothing National Hockey League kick off their 21-22 season. Two games on tap. Pittsburgh and Tampa Bay, Seattle, and Vegas. And we're going to have John Forslund also in this show to talk about uh, that and how excited he is getting ready for the game tonight. We're going to have at the top of the hour Sheldon Keefe. You're not going to want to miss that. Head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs on the Real Kipper and Bourne Show. But before we get that going, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, league predictions on this uh, day of. And we're going to let Sammy kick it off here. So we really don't know exactly where you're going to go with this, Sammy. But uh, let's uh, let's see if we can uh, rifle, on, uh, rifle off... Uh, our thoughts and feelings kicking off the season tonight. Hey, fellas, how's it going? You know, it's been a been lovely, a whole lovely. 
50th, half an hour since we've talked last, so I'll, uh, I'll get right into it here. Um, I'm going to go with the best regular t- season team in hockey. So not the not who wins the cup, but the best team in hockey in the regular season. Kipper, you want to lead the way or you want me to take charge? No, you go. I got the Colorado Avalanche. I, uh, I'm a big believer in the Avs. It's like... I don't know. It's like the Western Conference Toronto Maple Leafs where I see all the skill and I can't move past it. I just think they're too good not to be great. So, uh, you know, they're in a tougher division, so maybe it's uh, not the wisest choice in that regard, but uh, they're so top-heavy, so good, good goaltending, great. You know, I think McCarr wins the Norris, so I got I got the Avs. It's really hard not to look at the Avs and, and, and pretty much feel the, the same way, and uh, I'll probably think that... Uh, you know, don't tell him this, but uh, I'm feeling like Mike Kelly might be on to something with the, oh. the Florida Panthers. And again, where is Spencer Knight for me? If if he now can put himself in a position to, I don't know, 20, 30 games, right? There's no way of getting around uh, goalie Bob with his $10 million a year contract. But if they can really groom him, this season i think florida has a chance here guys to to be a top team in the standings are they ready to win the stanley cup not with the likes of what justin just told us about colorado and and vegas now taking another crack at it uh and tampa bay i think just tampa bay is too smart to to say we're not blowing our brains out uh during the regular season uh but there's one thing about being the top team during the regular season and then there's another one winning the Stanley Cup so because JB you took Colorado I'll I'll say Florida's got a chance to to be a top team during the regular season I love it Sammy you uh, you, you want to chime in on these or you just want to ask questions yeah. well I, I can give you a quick take here if you want I think it's gonna be Tampa I think Tampa is gonna be back to you know they're gonna have Kucherov all year they're gonna maybe have a really hot regular season and maybe run out of steam in the in the regular in the playoffs because you know they've played so deep into it but they're just still so skilled so yeah. uh, that's two two of us picking uh, the best team in the league from the Leafs division so you know <laughs> and hot least. start for the Leafs all right let's go <laughs> let's go the other way here fellas the worst team in hockey uh, I, I think there's a clear debate, at least in my mind, between two teams. I'm settling on the dysfunctional Buffalo Sabres. Uh, Craig Anderson's going to be their goalie. We're doing that. Eichel's not playing. Ryan Hart's gone. Who's Who plays for that hockey team? I'm sorry, uh, Sabres fans. I really want Buffalo to have a good team, but I just don't see any way they're not absolutely terrible this year. God. And you didn't even give... Arizona a chance to be the worst team in the league like (laughs) is it abundantly clear how they have no interest in being better anytime soon and so abundant and like all of a sudden now I'll tell you how bad it is for Arizona that there there are people out there that that are trying to convince me that they're, they're, they're gunning for Austin Matthews in three years and I'm like Three, three years. years. <laughs> three years. And it's like, yeah, they want to stink and they want to shape it up for, for Austin Matthews. And I'm like, I don't believe that for one second, but I do believe that they don't want to be uh, competitive anytime soon. So I, I, I don't see anybody touching Arizona right now. Kipper, I played a game with myself today. I actually spent a few minutes on this. Name both of the Arizona Coyotes. I, I'm not no, going to make goalies. you do this. Yeah, they're goalies. goalies. Name, their, name both their goalies. No it's, clue. No, I know. So I can tell you it's Carter Hutton, 
as yeah. the starter, and That's then the right. backup it, is Joseph Coronar. Did you pronounce I, it correctly? I, uh, not a chance. That was a huge question mark in my voice. Like, I have no idea. Carter Hutton showed a, a ton of promise just a few years ago, and now you're like, that was just a disaster in, in Buffalo. Yeah. And yet and he, now he's asked to how many games? How many games are they 50? expecting him to play? 55. 50? Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Sammy? Yeah, I'm just, I mean, I'm just looking at both those rosters that you guys are talking about, and boy, oh boy, those are both excellent contenders to be the worst. If the you league. combine like, their rosters, could you make a playoff team? I don't know. Like, I really don't know. <laughs> no, I, I guess you know. No. You look at the back the back end of of the Coyotes is a little better than than the Buffalo Sabers, who's you know, it's not great. But how how about the you know? Is everybody just told like, that the Sens are going to be half decent? You can't keep like, Gar- Garland. You can't keep. Connor Garland, I know. I know. Like, okay, what is going on here? When you when you have a guy that can play that game that hard, and you can't hold on to him. Well, how about like how old's Christian Dvorak? They're like, oh, we're rebuilding. Get rid of our twenty-four-year-old. Isn't he still like twenty-four? Mm-hmm. He's young. I, I you know, like how Same age is Marner. How young do you need to be to be a part of the rebuild? Like that he doesn't even qualify. I do I, not get it. And I, I think, I think. Kyle may have missed an opportunity to bring a guy in like that who had history with Mitch Marner. And that, to me, would have been a better way to use your first rounder than Nick Foligno. But that's hindsight 2020 here. No question. Yeah. So are we all convinced that the Sens are just going to be kind of decent this year? Do they show enough promise? Like, they're back in that tough division with all those great teams we're talking about. No Kachuk, you know, that goaltending big-time question mark, Murray. Well, we we're convinced they're going to be decent. No way they're yeah. the worst team. Did, did Murray get hurt today, or did he leave early, or he was unavailable for practice? But there's yeah, a question illness. mark whether he'll play against the Leafs on Thursday. Yeah. So I think the Senators are going to be uh, all caps B-A-D bad. I think they're going to be bad. I think everyone got really excited about the Sens last year because they have really good young players. It's just so hard to turn it around once you're awful and their goalie is still not good. Matt Murray, healthy or not, had a, gr- a pretty poor run of years here. I just don't see any way they're not bad. Yeah. Well, did it help that Pierre Dorian announced uh, that the the rebuild's over? That, oh, I sure mean, didn't help him. Like, that was amongst the dumbest why? things. That's, I don't know. That's a that's a chip you can play later on, <laughs> right? Yeah. When, when, when you have no Kachuk and you're like two and eight or three and nine that's a we're still a work in progress here that's yeah, dorian just stuffing the toothpaste back in the tube desperately on that one come december yeah all right next one here fellas top score in the nhl not named Connor mcdavid well i think I, we I... look at uh uh colorado and uh, nate mckinnon will not start i think the first two games as he is uh on the, uh, the the COVID uh, list, and that was, I think, uh, announced earlier today. Correct me if I'm wrong, Sammy. No, he, he he's got COVID. He, he will yep. not be he will not be there. But uh, the feeling is that uh, he's uh, uh, not showing any symptoms. So if if he can just miss two games, then there there's your guy. There's your top scorer, not named Connor McDavid. 
You know, I, I love McDa- McKinnon's like my favorite player in the league, not named Connor McDavid, but uh, Nikita Kucherov is healthy again. And he won the, the Art Ross with like 130 points a couple seasons back. You know, I don't I don't know if he's in the 10 most valuable players in the league, but I think there's a chance he puts up 130 points again. So I'll, I'll take Kucherov as my pick there. Oh, no, no, no. I, he, I, they've already tucked him away. He's not coming back to the playoffs again. Yeah, yeah. He's on, yeah. This guy will never play that, uh, that that amount of games that you're talking about. It's, you know, it's, you may not be wrong. They may actually be like, they may be given days off in Tampa. The way that um, I'm going to cheat here and say Leon Dreisaitl because he plays with Connor McDavid. How's that sound? Uh, it's kind of a shortcut, That's but a I good... appreciate it. It's a smart shortcut. Thank you. All right, next one here. Most shocking team in the NHL not to make the playoffs? Bruins. Give me the Bruins. Give me the Boston, give me the Boston Bruins. It's a, listen, we're talking up this division as being so top heavy and good, and Florida's awesome. Still like the Leafs, Tampa's your your team. The Bruins added Nick Foligno, who not an awesome run last season. Uh, who's the defenseman they got? Is Derek Forbort? Maybe I, I just mm. I don't know. Their best players get a little older. You know, I think it's it's quite possible that they end up the odd man out there. D has gotten thinner over the years without Krug and Chara. And yeah, I'll take the, you know, not that I think they're going to miss per se, but if there's a surprising team that could, it's them. Pittsburgh Penguins. When does it catch up? When do you have to pay the price for trading away your first rounder? I think I read that uh, one or two first round picks in the last eight or nine years, something like crazy where, and you, you're not starting with Sid or uh, Malkin. And I, I, I look at uh, their decision to not upgrade their goaltending and Flurry starting in Chicago. I'm not sure he may end up there at the end of the year. Yeah. So, I, I, that's my team where I go. Okay, the the fiddler wants his money now. Yeah, yeah. You can't sell your soul for fifteen years. Uh, well, actually, go Mario Yager, then Sid and Gino. At some point, these guys gotta gotta take it on the chin. But you know, much love for uh, you know Sportsnet's Brian Burke there. So uh, I'm rooting for him, but I can see it. Yeah. Well, it feels like. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say. Uh, it doesn't feel like it's Brian Burke's team yet, right? Because we know no. we know Brian. He likes to go in there and, and put his fingerprint on, on anything that he walks into. But uh, you just look at uh, what maybe Jimmy Rutherford left him, and there's no there's no cap space. There's no you know there's no room to really maneuver this thing right now. It, that's the way it seems. I was going to say the Penguins, too. So, uh, Kipper, well, great minds think alike there, buddy. There you All go. Right, we're, going to, uh, we're going to stick in the Metropolitan Division. We're going to go with Alex Ovechkin, who seems to score 30 goals in his sleep every year, fellas. I'm going to go over-under 30.5 goals, so you can't pick the – you have to you have to pick over-under. We can't have a push here. Uh, is he going to have another 30-goal year here or not? Talking about paying the piper, like you know, we mentioned on the show yesterday, this guy's health. Can he stay healthy? And, you know, he's day-to-day to start the season. Um, 30's a, a lot of goals. I know Ovi can still do it, but uh, I'll be the hater and say under. I know that's not going to be Kipper's take, is it? Well, I, 30's a strange number for me because 
I think people are expecting 35 or 40, and I would have definitely gone under at 35. Yeah. I think there's a chance. So 30.5, yes, there's a chance that he'll get 31 goals. But <laughs> is that good for people? Are they satisfied with that? If, if you factor that in for five years on his contract, uh, yeah, then, then he's right there in the ballpark. So I just... I look at him and I see a freak of nature that he has been able to stay as healthy as he has and play the style that he plays. And I don't know. I'm not one to say that uh, it's a sign, but when I see that freak day-to-day injury that he just suffered, that crap didn't happen to him in his career, okay, where he just goes and he, he innocently bumps into a guy and, ends up with a Charlie horse. That stuff never happened in the past. Is that a sign that it, it, it catches up to you? And if that's the case, then he he might be challenging uh, to, to get 30 goals. And here's the other factor is Backstrom is not there to start the season. That doesn't and I don't know how long he's going to be out. But if it's, if it's the first 10, 15 games, 20 games, it's going to get tougher for Ovi. Yeah, All of this comes down. into play. Is that what? him drinking the cereal? Oh, yeah. <laughs> From the commercial there. That way I was sending you guys. That was a good clip. So good is, job there, is that, DB. Is that commercial trending right now, guys? There's a, there's a, a great fun commercial with him and Backstrom. It's really good. Yeah. And I know you love yep. commercials there, Kipper. Oh, I'm a big commercial guy for sure. And uh, yes. Great, Did you ever get to do great any? Great job. I did one for ESPN. Oh yeah, and, uh, yeah, like, it, yeah. I don't know where it's in the archives, but they had some really fun it. one with with players kind of uh, promoting the game, and they gave me. Uh, I was on the ice, uh, holding uh, a, a bunny in my hands, <laughs> and my okay. my line was, "People think hockey players are big lugs, but actually, we're very civilized people." Take this little guy, for instance, and I show everybody the bunny rabbit. And then my line is, how many of you know the best way to serve him is in a pruned cognac sauce? (laughs) That's great. Rangers versus penguins tonight. Oh, we got to find that. That's really good. That's really good. We got to find that. (laughs) That was was the the beginning and the end of my uh, commercial career. Yeah, All right, so Sheldon's going to be calling here in a few minutes, but I'll get one last one for you, and it's about the international break of the NHL this year. How many Leafs on Team Canada? I need the definitive number. Two. Okay. Are you and they old are? to pick the two, or are you... Uh... How many are you going with? I'll take Did three. You? Give me three. You know, I, I think... What are, are you going to give us your two before I... Uh, I think... I think Marner and Riley's got an outside chance, but I don't have Tavares. You don't, eh? No, no, I don't have Tavares, and I, I think uh, I, that might not be a bad thing for Leaf fans. Stay home and rest. Well, it wouldn't be bad. The, uh, you know, my thought on Tavares is, you know, I've got a 18-month-old daughter, 
and I haven't slept well in 18 months. And I know Tavares had a fleet of humans over the past, I think he had two kids over the past few years, but I think they're a little older now. I think JT's going to be rested. I think he's healthy. I think you're going to see a good JT this year. So I've got all three getting in. I do think there's an off chance that Jake Muzzin, just because he'll play defense and kill penalties, could at least, you know, if he has a great start and he's healthy all the way through, I think he could at least generate, uh, you know, some conversation about would he be a part of it. Wow. That's a name Kipper. that uh, we wouldn't, we wouldn't uh, put on Team Canada. But very it, wrong. Well, he's going to have to have a hell of a season to yeah. get there. But don't they, or a hell they, of a start. All, Hockey Canada always does the thing where they have like the sort of, you know, the pedigree guys, the guys that have done it before, you know, like the sort of, even if they play in the bottom half of the lineup. And I feel like John Tavares is at that sort of point. Like he's played at hockey. Well, he was like that Canada in 2000. Level. It was 2010. He, he played a, a role, right? He was, where would you had him on the depth chart in 2010? Yeah. And then 2014, he got hurt. And then there wasn't a li- – I don't know. I, I just think yeah. that I see them, you know, valuing, like, the leadership and the hockey guy sort of skill or whatever. Like, I I, I see them taking Taurus. I really do. Maybe do. even before I see them taking Riley. Yeah, yeah I, I I would see him as a secondary player on that lineup, and I just think mm-hmm. that uh, they'd, they'd probably go with uh, maybe something a little bit younger. I, I don't – I don't. you don't see him in a primary role with Team Canada, and we didn't see it in 2010 when he was really – uh, you know the face of the New York Islanders. I think, I think he 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 was okay in that role, but I, I just don't see it uh, in 2021. But uh, where, where do like you anything, value, I could be wrong. Where do you value experience versus like youth and energy for Team Canada? Because I know I you know I saw some quotes from might have been Doug Armstrong who who mentioned that. You know, you got to have these experienced guys, got to have these guys who've been there before. They make such a big difference in a short tournament. But then I look at the European Ryder Cup golf team, and it's like, all right, some of these old guys, you got, you know, to heck with experience. You need some, some youth and energy in there. Where do, what would you prioritize, Kipper? Well, it, I, you can't have 20 leaders. You can't have, you need some yeah. followers. And I think that uh, it's okay to grab some youth. And be in a position to sit there and say that guy can be a good follower here. And I mean, we've seen in the past it's been led by Crosby and Berger, uh, Berger, uh, Bergeron, and uh, you know certain guys in the past. But uh, you, you need the followers, and I think I think that's where they're going to lead uh, lean towards uh, with role players. You know, Sean Couturier. Would you take Sean Couturier over John Tavares? right now yeah no not for me but it's one of those things where you got to see how the season goes it's an interesting name all right so we have a couple more minutes here before sheldon calls in so just one last one for you here fellas who's going to be the best team in canada well, Sheldon's about to be on the phone, and he's my former boss. I feel like I need to answer this one pretty carefully. You, you chicken, man. Coward, eh? You chicken. Total coward. No, um, you know, but the thing is, I do think it's Toronto. The, the, Win- the other team that can make a case is Winnipeg. The Winnipeg Jets have, you know, they got better on D, which was a real sore spot for them the past year. They added Brendan Dillon and Nate Schmidt, a couple good defenders, puck movers. We know they can score goals. Connor Hellebuck can win a Vezda. That's your other team that can make a case. Well, it's funny. I mean, is, does the Oilers even get into the conversation, or is oh. that strictly because of Mike Smith being a wild card here? 
And yeah. that that to me is like he finished strong here. There's no question that he showed that uh, he's got some juice left. But wow, it's still taking a, a big chance. Uh, first and foremost, you know whether or not he can stay healthy at his age. Yeah, no the uh, the the risk of going in with Mike Smith and Koskinen is uh, you know I think it's a huge one considering how much talent you have up front. You're talking about superstars in their primes. It's it's a dicey gamble, but you know we have heard some rumors that they are looking to be active in the goalie market. I guess just a matter of who's available at this time of year. Yeah, yeah. Sheldon or no Sheldon to start uh, you know in the next five or ten minutes with him on the show. Uh, isn't it Toronto's until someone knocks them off? And not that I'm a regular season guy, but didn't they prove that last year? And I know lineups have changed and, and certain personnel's in and out, but it's it still should be Toronto. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, what's different about them is that they defend so well now. You know, they finished seventh in the NHL in goals against last season. You know, look at their previous four seasons they're 20th 26th 23rd like they could actually defend now so it's a lot more easy to, to put them in that conversation as, as you know an elite team we know they can score but being able to defend helps too definitely no I I just have such a hard time picking them to do anything after what we saw after the regular season yesterday, <laughs> last year fellas but like you know they should be the best team in the division I mean oh, I, I went back to the north in the in Canada but you know yeah. are we gonna are we gonna miss the uh, are we gonna miss the north division fellas so uh, absolutely not <laughs> no I absolutely I mean I was over that early you kept there was so much hype about it and then I think everybody got bored of it or uh, I don't know. It's just uh, I, I did not like it. I didn't like yeah. it. And, and you know what kind of was so interesting that there was so much hype into it. And with the exception of the Ottawa Senators, there's a ton of pressure on everybody to make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And everybody had stretches where they disappointed they were just in funks. And Toronto avoided it until the last three games of their first round matchup in Montreal. Yeah. It was it was incredible to see so many teams come up, come in with so much hype and then and then go, what is wrong with the Edmonton Oilers to start the season? And what happened, you know, to, to Vancouver and that energy they had the year before? And Calgary with their big signings of Tanov and and Markstrom were supposed to be a can't miss playoff team. Yeah, and in that pressure to, costs jobs, Kip. Like, well, you know, not yet for some of them. But they're Julian, hanging in. Calgary's hanging in. Yeah, I just mean the coaches got fired. You know, I thought that shortened season, everyone was going to have a lot of uh, of leeway. Uh, you know, it's a weird year, shortened year, and when teams couldn't find it because of the, the pressure, I think part of that being in Canada and that increased spotlight, you know, teams felt compelled to make changes early. And all that's changed now is you're going to add one more team that expects to make the playoffs. Eugene Melnick thinks he's got a playoff team. Make no mistake about that. Uh, he, well, someone has made oh, a mistake. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> he, Someone's going to tell him. Hey, <laughs> that's, that's really led to, I think, Pierre Dorian saying it's over, right? It's uh, 
The rebuild's yeah. over. We're we're ready. We're ready to compete, and they think that they've got a team that uh, can get in the playoffs. And and now you've got major expectations in every city in Canada. That that to me is the big difference going into this season. The one that gets me, you know, an observation that Jeff Merrick always makes is uh, he says that styles make fights. You know, that's a boxing uh, expression. And that's what got tiresome about the North Division for me last season was you had a sense of how every team matched up against one another. You know, you, you could predict what the sort of, not the total score necessarily, but the look of the games would be against these teams because they played them so regularly. I'm excited to see what a Toronto Maple Leafs team looks like when they go play Vegas and when they go play, well, let's see Seattle now, but, you know, these Penguins are the... I just am excited to see them out of their division and, and mix it up some different style games, you know? I, I think if if somehow, some way, that the the Leafs last year, their their team was able to have played a Tampa Bay or, or a Vegas or Colorado, and that, that's where sometimes a game like that, and if... If it doesn't bold well for the Leafs, could be a bit of a wake-up call and a reset to think maybe we're not as good as we think we are. And right. then you're into, you know, Mike Kelly. Uh, you know, I found his comments uh, interesting when it uh, came to how just the matchups and the style and why he picked Montreal. And I just think that it, it, they're going to benefit. The Leafs will benefit this time around when they start inviting other teams outside of Canada in and, and, and start looking at some of those top teams like Vegas and, and Colorado as measuring sticks. Let's bring in head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, Sheldon Keefe. First of all, uh, Sheldon, th- thanks for joining us. Um, where, where do we start? Where, does it start with uh, the Marner or, or training camp in general? You tell me. Well, I think you're in charge here. I think that's not how this goes. <laughs> well, leave, good, leave good, that. Good, good, good to be on, guys. Um, uh, yeah, I think, obviously, the first thing for me is our camp. That's what we've been at here for a while. Uh, and, and it was really good camp for us. Really felt very positively about our group and how they've come together and the work that they've put in, you know, leaves us uh, – you know, confident and, and feeling ready to go, happy that the, the real games are here. Uh, I think uh, the players uh, certainly feel that way. But, uh, you know, um, obviously injuries, uh, with whether it was Mikheyev or, or the Marner situation here today or, or Matthews not quite being uh, ready to go, that, that's, all, that's all part of what we have to deal with here. But uh, the group has done very well uh, in terms of how they've prepared to give us confidence no matter who's in the lineup. Before we get into some specifics with with certain players, just your overall thought, because it feels like you've been around a lot longer than this is your first full training camp. And uh, it was the length of it okay with you? I think you're old enough to, to have been around for a lot longer uh, training camps, uh, six games enough. Was it one too many with uh, McKayev being hurt overall? What's your assessment of, of, of how training camp went for you and, and particularly the length of it? Yeah, you know what I, I I thought it was it was good, Nick. I mean, I you know when you look at it as a coach or you know manager and as organization, you know you you look at it in a bigger picture, which is you're trying to develop young players, you're trying to provide opportunity for incoming players, whether that's players new to your team or players that are trying to make the NHL. Uh, 
you, you know, so those kind of things, you, you do need time. And, and the more time, the better. In fact, there's probably a crew of guys sitting down in the minors right now wishing they had a little more time, you know, to, to adjust to the league and make their impressions or what have you. And then you get the established NHLers that, you know, they, you know, they just want to get on with it kind of thing. So you, you got to balance all of that. You know, for me, as my first camp, as you said here, first time going through a full preseason, uh, I think we got a lot done in the games that we did have and how we scheduled things. The blue-white game that we had, we got some special teams work done there and got, you know, a little more uh, game reps in the controlled environment for our guys. You know, we had a really good trip out to Gravenhurst as a team to spend some time out there together. Uh, I'm really happy with what we've got done here, but I certainly believe the guys are, are ready to go for sure. You know, you know, Mateo got injured, got injured in the last uh, preseason game, and it's extremely unfortunate. But it's, I mean, it's it's hockey, as you guys know, and these things happen. Whether it happened in the last preseason game or something happens in the first regular season game, it's all part of what comes with this this sport. There's always risk that there's going to be some injuries and such. And you know, we feel like we've built up the positive depth uh, with our group that we can handle these kind of things. And you know, in some cases here, we're going to be put to the test. Kiefer, before you guys were able to turn the page on uh, last season and focus on this season, you were kind of forced to relive the last one with all or nothing there. Um, you know, I, I think it was widely reviewed. People seemed to enjoy it and were impressed at how things went. The, the one thing that stood out to me I wanted to ask you about was a conversation you had on the ice with Jason Spezza just about, you know, are the boys receiving the message well? Am I too much right now? How, how do you strike that balance between wanting to tell, you know, wanting to offer criticism and coaching to every, everyone all the time without sort of leaning too heavily on the players? Well, you know, it's, it's a real balance, Borne. I think that's really the art of the position that I'm in as a coach is, is to be able to manage that. The reality is, um, you know, my, my job is to assess what the team needs at any particular time and provide that. You know whether that's a, an adjustment t- tactically or to the lineup or or in the messaging and the mood and the emotion around the team. It's it's my job to to assess that and, and at times you need some feedback because reality is uh, on the other side of coaching is it doesn't it doesn't matter how I feel about what I say or what I do. It really matters about how it's able to influence the players. So. That's really ultimately what the, what the job is, is to influence the players and the team uh, in a positive direction. And we don't always agree on that. Um, and sometimes, you know, I can gain a greater perspective by asking others. Sometimes it's a player. Sometimes it's an assistant coach. Sometimes it's a trainer. Uh, player, people that have different perspectives than I give me more information to, to properly assess, you know, um, my own performance and, and how I'm going about things. And in that particular conversation, the way I recall it, our team was playing extremely well at that time. We were winning a lot. And, and, but, you know, there was parts of our game inside of those wins that I, I thought we needed to be better in. Um, and, uh, you know, when you're winning a lot as a team, it's sometimes difficult to hear those uh, sort of things. But that's really kind of what, what you're managing as you're going through a season. And, you know, it's, uh, it's a good position to be in as a coach when you're trying to, you know, trying to, to, to be you're trying to assess whether, you know, because you're winning so much, whether the message is maybe not, you know, doesn't come across the way you want it to. And then maybe you're pushing too hard because you don't want it to go the other way where the players don't respond positively. So that's, that's the big balance for me as a coach, as always with any of the teams that I've coached, uh, you're managing those ups and downs throughout the season. And you were fortunate to have players with veteran 
uh, presence that have kind of seen it all uh, sort of thing. And, and that, you know, in Spez's case is certainly you know, a value uh, to me. Sheldon, I got to ask you, did you actually watch all or nothing from the comfort of your own house? Did your, did your wife watch it? And if so, did she, did she look at you and go, what's with all the F bombs? Well, I, I actually, I, I haven't watched the final product that's come out here, the final version. I did have a chance to see things as they're going through the editing process a little bit. Um, so I haven't seen how it's all come together. You know, just as things got busy, it's you know, not really where, what I, where I'm spending my time on. But, yeah, I've had enough people watch it. My, my wife has not has not seen it, but I think she's had enough people uh, send her clips and, and talk to her. <laughs> Uh, about it um, I don't know that she's overly surprised but you know what the reality is I mean as I looked at it reflect on on the on the show and how it's all come together I mean I, I wore a microphone for the entire season um, every meeting all day with the coaches all day with the players on the ice and practice on the bench you know and that's I don't know what that amounts to but uh, you know probably around you know thousands of hours of footage between the different mics and different cameras that they're sorting through. And I think they're, they were only interested in, in showing the most intense uh, times of the season, uh, understandably. And, and, you know, that's, that's real. That's the emotion that's in it. Um, you know, I think that's, that's part of the, the part of the deal when, when you're in that, but uh, it's, you know, it's one of these things when we got into it, you knew there was going to be things that are going to come out that, that are you know, behind the scenes, and that's part of the appeal to the whole thing. So, you know, I, I don't reflect on it, you know, positively or neg- negatively, really. I, I'm just kind of pushing on and, and continuing with what we're doing here. Obviously, the timing of when it when it came out, you know, I don't have a whole lot of time to dwell on it or think about it very much. Well, I, I, good on you because I, I couldn't do it. I, I, in all honesty, knowing that Mike was on me all the time, I, I would have just, I, I would have lost it uh, on a couple occasions. Uh, there was a couple of uh, scenes uh, where you disagreed with Matthew's assessment or the narrative of his game assessment. Uh, that, that can't necessarily be an easy thing to do. Uh, does it have? Does it happen more often now today with the, the media coverage than than even you know a few years ago? Uh, you know what? I, I think it's it's uh, that's one part. Of, you know, I did see that part in the initial, you know, the initial version that I had viewed. Um, you know, when I looked at it, I think the way that it came across is, you know, the the narrative and stuff that came with it may maybe more associated with the media narrative, the outside narrative. But reality is, I I couldn't, don't care about that at all. I'm more concerned about the narrative inside our team, inside our room, and that's how our players feel happened. That's the more narrative that I'm concerned with. Um, and uh, the outside stuff, that's that's noise that I'm not concerned with. But the, the fact that that's the feeling of our team and our players, you know, that's something that we needed to, to address and fix. So, you know, we went through that. And as it turns out, you know, the real conversation that Austin and I had about that situation was, was not covered in the show. Um, just because it was happened in a space where I found a quiet space to handle that, but um, those are the kind of things that happen. You know, that's that's part of the season. You got, you're going through all of that, and you got to handle different things and uh, have constantly communicating with the players. Uh, sometimes it's great and it's positive, and sometimes it's not. But 
ultimately I look at, at it as productive and, and uh, you know, we, we've got to, got to deal with those things. We've got to be able to have those conversations. Um, as you say, it's my first real season here, full season, you know, in terms of uh, the camp and all of that kind of stuff. But I've been at this for a little while now to the point that, you know, with our, with our core players, uh, I, I believe in our relationships and, and I'm confident in my ability to have any conversation with them. That's great. The um, the one thing that you probably feel like Reg Dunlop at this point with like, hey, Kiefer, fix the power play. Uh, I don't know how many hours you must have spent watching video. What is your feeling on where the power play is at, where it's been, and, and where it's going this year? Well, obviously, it was a major priority for us, Bernie, going into this offseason. We looked at it from lots of different directions. Uh, coming out of the you know, our Montreal series, you know, reflecting on it, and then going through it in the off season, and having more discussions, and then looking as our as our coaching staff was evolving, starting with uh, Dave Haxtell, you know, getting the head coaching position in Seattle, and then that you know forcing us to make a change or, uh, and, and a new hire, changing some of the dynamics of our staff, and we looked at it and. Um, I had conversations with Spencer Carberry, was able to bring him in, and thought through those discussions that uh, he would bring a lot of value to us uh, specifically with the power play and uh, in retaining Manny and the experience that he had, Manny Malhotra uh, running the power play last season, still being on our staff, having that perspective along with fresh eyes and a new voice in, in Spencer, um, a guy who's been a head coach, a very, very good head coach coming off being the HL coach of the year, a guy that I respect greatly from getting to know him and coaching against his teams and talking to players that he's coached thought that he could bring in a lot there. So some of it is tactical, of course. You know, we've made some changes here with, with Mitch Marner moving into the to the bumper position. And uh, and then part of it is just a different different voice and different uh, you know, different um, delivery um, in, in, in curves and, and giving the players a, a fresh perspective from that sense, knowing that we really want to push past and we feel like we're better than the way we performed in the playoffs. Uh, certainly in the playoffs, but in the second half leading up to the playoffs, even in the regular season, that didn't give us a great deal of confidence going in. And we believe the power play is the, something that needs to feed the offensive confidence of the team. So we had to address that. And we, we feel confident that we have. Obviously, you know, uh, not having Austin here to start the season and not having him through camp, uh, you know, uh, as a full participant, we don't have a great sense exactly of what this could look like and what it can be. But, you know, we're happy with, what has been done and how we've we've worked through camp and preseason and, and the way things have have happened and evolved there uh you know, we're happy with it early on here but as you can recall you know, we were we had the number one power play in the nhl for the first couple months of the season last last season so you know we want to get off to a good start here again and make sure that level of consistency is going to be there Sheldon, before we let you go, uh, one last thought. Uh, you updated us with the Mitch Marner situation, leaving early for precautionary reasons. Uh, was it just simply, hey, Mitch, go home, and we'll see how you feel in, in the morning? Uh, is that is that basically what uh, transpired today? Yeah, yeah, that pretty much, you know, dis- uh, you know describes it. Uh, that's really it. It was very, very precautionary. Um, so, you know, Mitch is uh, going to come in in the morning and, and they'll, they'll assess him then and make a decision based on, his, uh, based on that to determine his availability and, and we will uh, take it from there. What's the over-under on how many apologies Wayne Simmons uh, gave you or Mitch? <laughs> Seven, eight? Uh, I, yeah, I, I, I mean, I thought pretty instant that, uh, that Wayne, you know, uh, uh, 
felt bad about it. It's obviously very accidental. Didn't mean to, to do anything like that. Again, just like we talked about in the, the preseason game. I mean, you're trying to you're trying to have competitive practices, and you want your guys pushing and competing. And you know, sometimes these things are going to happen. Unfortunately, uh, just the way that it goes. Uh, I don't think you you always want to be mindful of what's happening with your teammates and such. But you you, you certainly don't want to be uh, um, pulling back. On our on the competitiveness of our practices and such, so that has to continue. But you know the players just you know have got to do their best to try to remain healthy. Sheldon Cave, head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Sheldon, thank you for making time for us today, and best of luck to start the season. Many thanks, guys. Take care. Yeah, thanks, Keith. Sheldon Keefe. Wow, I tell you what, uh, I you hated you hated. Uh, hurting anybody let alone your star player or goalie in saying that but uh uh interesting stuff from sheldon keefe 